Welcome back to the Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's guest is a little different than the standard. Uh, it is one of the world's most renowned meteorologists on this sweet planet of ours, referred to as Ginger Z. I greatly value Ginger's existence on this planet. Not only is she an Emmy award-winning meteorologist, um, she also is uh, She's just a, a very kind, empathetic, compassionate human being that has gone through a ton of um, her own process. She was suicidal multiple times. She has herself checked into a mental health hospital when things were especially hard for her. And she has done a ton of really brilliant work around normalizing conversation of mental health. And looking at, this is something I find very interesting, like looking at, say, like homelessness, seeing people in the streets that are um, mentally unstable or ill uh, i think if someone has a, a broken leg and someone was laying in the street with a, a broken leg you would very obviously want to help that person you'd say you need to get to a hospital you say we need to address this thing You're, there's internal bleeding we need to sort this out right now um, our culture is not really equipped or designed to be able to uh, tend to people that have an injury within their mind or their consciousness. And so I think that Ginger Z being, I mean, she's got like um, um, over a million followers on the Instagram. She had a very large platform. Uh, she's on Good Morning America. She's ABC's main meteorologist. Um, she's done some crazy stuff. Like all of her, her bio is like just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and she's bringing light to this conversation of mental health, well, that, which I think is invaluable. And uh, we get in this conversation, we talk about uh, the weather, we talk about climate, we talk about what weather is in the first place. It's an interesting question. We were just asked the question, like, what is weather? Uh, what is heat? What is rain? What is a tornado? What is lightning? I love questions like that. And so there's no one more well-suited to field questions like that of what the heck is going on in our ecosystems and our climate um, and what's the, the future have in store for the, the, the climate in the world. What can we do to create a better future? Uh, and then also tying all of that back to um, our, our own mental, emotional well-being. We, our, our mind is a lot like the weather and vice versa. So this is a very fun conversation that I think you guys are going to really enjoy. Uh, it's very meaningful and I'm very grateful to have it and share it with you guys. I want to thank you for subscribing to this program. If you like it, make sure you get episodes each week. Press subscribe wherever you listen to this. Also, thank you so much for leaving us reviews. I'm going to read one from, grab one from uh, Buddha Bliss here. It's five stars. Buddha Bliss, thank you very much. Loved this podcast. I loved listening to everything the guest had to say. I wish he drove, he dove deeper into the Bardos, but I will definitely be getting his books. I don't know who they're talking about exactly, but I'm glad they liked that podcast. Thank you, Buddha Bliss, for the interview. Thank you all y'all for tuning in. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for implementing the information. Let's get to it with my gal, Ginger Z. The first question that I have for you, which is probably quite elementary and ridiculous, but like what is weather? 
so you're not alone, by the way, in being someone who just lives in the world like many people do and just has it in the background. So weather is just what's outside. It is the immediate. You can think of it a very easy parallel that people say is like weather is the mood and climate is the personality. Mm. And so climate is a long term, broad look at where what a place is and why it is the way it is, whereas weather changes regularly. And I always say, like, the other thing is people are like, man, especially in spring, it's like the same conversation year after year. People are like, wow, it is so wacky, man. It just goes. It's like you don't know what to expect the next day. I'm like, no, we really do know what to expect. And we know that it's spring and this is when the jet stream gets active and when we have a 40 degree day and then we have an 80 degree day pretty normal. That's how you get an average. When we're talking about changing climate and the amplification of climate changing by human induced, that's when it starts to be more about the long periods of time and how those averages are making an extreme spike. And so something I learned in my extensive YouTube research of understanding weather is that uh, (laughs) if one, if the earth wasn't round and rotating, and two, if there wasn't, if we didn't have the sun, so that's creating mm-hmm. heat and pressure gradients and high pressure goes to low pressure, is my understanding. If we didn't have changes in elevation and if the earth wasn't rotating and round, there would be no weather. So if it was like hashtag flat earth, yes. there would, it would <laughs> just, it would just be a bunch of isness. It would just be the same consistent isness all the time. But we have this really yeah. rambunctious fluctuating dynamic system that we coexist with. Yeah, because the poles are cold and the equator's hot. I mean, that's really where the base of it gets started is that just like a bathtub, when you put hot and cold water together, they don't sit independently. They're fluid and they move so that they even out. That's what our air does. Our atmosphere is just the same. That's why we study thermodynamics is just like the movement of heat in a liquid, but the movement of heat in air. And it would be easy to be attached. So this is where there's going to be a seamless segue into our, our mental emotional state and the weather. It would be easy to be attached to one particular type of weather and be in that like hashtag flat earth, you know, not having yeah. solar flares and pressure <laughs> gradients and you know, shifts, but just be like, I really like 85 degrees, sunny, clear skies. Mm-hmm. I'm attached to that. And then within that, it's like the reality is, is actually that dynamic stew of variance is what keeps everything functioning. And like this, the system's actually systeming. The pursuit of happiness is one of those things that makes it into, you know, a constitution, but also into our lives often that clear idea that all we want to be is happy when that is a temporary emotion. I've been happy seven times today. I've also been mad. I've been frustrated. I've been sad. I've had all of those. And that turbulence within a person um, and the ability to move through it is incredibly important because it would be like pursuing only sunshine. Granted, there are some places that have closer to that. And there are some parts of life that are closer to that. But just like the atmosphere, our lives are dynamic. And that's how I always end everything is saying that storms don't last forever. They can't and they won't. Yeah. Not how life works and not how the atmosphere works. Because if you can be in that personal storm in the moment and realize that, first of all, you had to have sunshine to make it. That's the other thing. One of my favorites is people mm. will be like, man, it was a sunny day and then this tornado comes. I'm like, you have to have sunshine to make a tornado. You have to have heat. It's a key ingredient. 
If you have clouds all day, it is really hard to have a strong tornado. So I think those things need to be kind of understood to be part of our world, our atmosphere, but also our internal atmosphere. Mm, You're very open that you have been on two separate occasions. You have attempted to end your, your physical experience here, here on planet earth, uh, Mm -hmm. or suicide. It's interesting saying the, the, the word suicide feels almost like a, a profane word to use when in fact it's actually maybe sadly, maybe just is, maybe it's just like the weather. It's, it's becoming dramatically more common, it seems like, on an annual basis. I was reading statistics before this, thinking from 1999 to 2018, the rate of suicide has increased 35% from what it was. And so... I'd be interested to unpack and understand what that is from, from your perception. And then also kind of get into my own resistance or perhaps like fear or reticence around even using terms like suicide and then get into your intimate relationship with, with what that is. And then eventually I'll probably ask you about tornadoes or something as well. (laughs) I I think we should start with why it's difficult because I think that's what a lot of people feel and they might be listening and saying like, yep, I'm uncomfortable. Like the immediate mention of it may make people uncomfortable. Suicide is a symptom of disorders and depression and different mental illnesses. It's a symptom. It is the act of taking one's life. You know, we've changed the terminology around it. So hopefully it can help to destigmatize what it actually is because in history, kind of presented to everyone as a choice. There has been negative stigma surrounding that, that families feel that people don't understand and that confusion and the isolation of it, because often it's so scary, we don't want to say it. We're definitely not going to talk about it. And then we're not going to learn how to do it for the next time. So I think it's really important that you bring that up. And I love that you're saying it because now we can talk about it and say, why is that hard? It's hard because it sucks. It's the worst, but it's also like the word cancer. Cancer sucks and it kills people. And I think if we start to look at what that is, because as a disease itself versus the final, as if it's a choice, where really it is a part of that disease. So when you say disease, I think there's different ways to parse that apart. You could just you know, break down disease as, as dis-ease. So it's like you're out of a state of maybe yeah. homeostasis or, or balance or ease, or I think another direction could be there's some type of like neurochemical imbalance or likely, you know, there it's, it's like a, it's a bi-directional street, you know, that's one they're, they're always interpreting each other. So when you say disease, how would you define that in relation to suicide? That is difficult because even in the mental health organizations and within the, you know, psychology and psychiatry, Disorder, disease, all of them are not interchangeable and they need to be learned by us. And so, for for example, what I was eventually diagnosed with was something called borderline personality disorder. Now, a disorder is something that is different because it is not a chemical. Um, it can sometimes be, come in conjunction for folks that have it. It can also then have depression that comes out of it. But as itself, it is a disorder. A disorder is something that can be remedied, at least in borderline personality. That's something that I think people need to hear too, that many times these are things that can be worked on and maintained to heal. And I say maintained to heal because 
none of them are something where you just heal and then you're good to go for the rest of your life. This is a this is a lifelong thing, just like physical health is. We don't go get in sick shape in six months, eat right, get a trainer, and then you're like, look at me, and then you stop everything and it sticks. That's that's not how mental health works either. And I think there are a couple ways to look at it. Whereas when you talk about something where there is a chemical and brain change, which they're finding more and more, and there are more studies being done to actually look at the brain, which is incredible that we haven't done enough of that to actually study this, that this is finally just happening. When you're able to go and see, and we're going to figure out more and more about those chemicals and what really puts us in, um, whether it's genetic or just environmental sometimes that changes chemicals, that is disease. It's beyond dis-ease. It's something that needs either remedy, sometimes by medication, sometimes by incredible therapy, sometimes the combination of both. I think it's it's, it's another, it's like I, all these conversations are so nuanced. And I think we as modern humans really love to have like structure and linearity and yeah. definitiveness and like, aha, genetic, yeah. environmental, when the actual reality is it's one big stew and the environment is what yeah. potentiates or catalyzes different genetics to express themselves. And so you know, it's very challenging to to put all of these different, like highly nuanced conversations into a, a neatly organized bucket because it's all so interconnected. I wonder from your perception, why would the rate of, uh, well, self-harm, I guess would be a separate category, but, mm -hmm. but specifically suicide, increase 35% based off of the stats that I read on some reputable websites, like the some yeah, acronym yeah. NIHM or something. NAMI. Yeah, that one. Yeah, exactly. Why would that statistic rise by over a third in just a span of two decades? I would never claim to be expert at all or doctor. I've done a lot of work with a lot of experts and I've, I've come to understand. I've read a ton and I communicate a lot of what I personally went through. But if I can go off of the anecdotal evidence that I have seen and, you know, in rooms that I've spoken to, whether it's 500 parents in a room that have all lost their children to suicide, or I've been in rooms where there have been children or now adolescents or adults that had at one point in their life attempted suicide. And so I've, I feel like I've had experiences, but I can't like straight out say part of it. It's odd too, because we are talking about it more than we ever have, but the numbers keep going up. So as we keep saying like, Oh, destigmatize, I think we're at the point where people are really good about saying, I suffer with depression or I have anxiety. Would you agree? I think we're kind of at this newer place in much of the world where it's okay to admit that. I think it's certainly okay. And we're trained to be more compassionate as a people, but I think there's still, at least for me, a sensation of would be some shame around that and 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 the, the potential fear of being outcasted from the tribe and being a burden to the tribe. And that's something that I do think is changing. It still exists. But here's where I think the real stigma is and why I think that we're seeing an increased rate is that even if you're able to identify with that, there is not a great support system or organization of the mental health industry, if you'd like to even call it that, to be able to get people to the right place and get them the right type of health hmm. help. Mm -hmm. So the, I always like to go to drug and alcohol. Drug and alcohol rehabilitation today. I think we've gotten to a great point. If somebody goes to drug or alcohol rehab, we say, good for them, right? Like sure. they're yeah, going to go there right. and get help. And it's the best thing they can possibly do. 
I don't think that that was true 50 years ago. I think if that somebody would have been going to rehab, you know, pre-Betty Ford, we would have been like, they're outside the tribe. Yep. We have to do what Betty Ford did. We have to be able to make a place where people not only can identify it like the McDonald's, like they have the brand recognition of this is a place where I am allowed to go, where I know I will be able to get the help, where I have access to the help, because that's a problem too, is being able to get access. It will be this, you know, this is my dreaminess saying it's this funnel place where you go there. It's hard to go there not going to be easy, but you go, you get diagnosed and you be, you're able to be put out like a general practitioner sending you to an ear, nose and throat person versus a knee person when (laughs) those are the things that you need helped. That's how the brain needs to be helped as well in different places. I need different things than you do. And that needs to be organized. So I think that when we're able to get there and when we can get it to the point of policy that you're allowed to do that. I always talk about when I went to the hospital, I went to the hospital, to the psych ward at Columbia, which still raises eyebrows like, ooh, that's extreme, right? Like people can say I go to therapy and most people are like, cool. (laughs) I think that's still on its way up. But when you say psych ward, I'm going to tell you right now, people still raise their eyebrows. And that is the part I think we need changed because that psych ward is where I got funneled, where I finally got diagnosed correctly and where I was put out into the type of therapy that I needed. And here I am. A decade later, the healthiest I've ever been, understanding that I have to maintain this mental health and being committed to doing it. Granted, I am incredibly privileged to have the financial ability to do this and to get this help. I had the geographical privilege of being able to go to Columbia, which is one of the best out there. That is not the truth for everyone. So I think we need to make the access to that okay. You know, and, and, and then, and I, I always bring up when I went to the hospital, I went to the hospital when I did for a couple of reasons. I was afraid of myself. I was afraid of the man I was with. I was in an abusive relationship and I was between jobs. I didn't have to tell anybody if I didn't want to. It was my secret. Just like the entire last 10 years of my life had been a big secret. What I've learned ever since is that cannot be a secret and we cannot have In the workplace, for example, if somebody needed to go to the psych ward, we need to say, just like we would for drugs and alcohol, good for them. They should do that. Because I'm such a better employee. I'm such a better wife. I'm such a better mother than I ever would have been had I never done that. So we need to look at it for, sucks right now, but boy, is it going to be great when it gets better. I want to take a moment and share a pretty ridiculous deal. Tune in for the end because you can redeem a free bag of Kalima salt. This is no joke. It's just $5.99 for shipping. Get a full bag of Kalima salt. And also they have a 100% money back guarantee. So you can go check out their page right now if you want, alignsalt.com. Now I'm going to tell you why this stuff matters. Every year, humans dump 8 million tons of plastic garbage into the ocean, which is unfortunate because it's exactly where your table salt comes from. This garbage breaks down into tiny pieces of plastic called microplastics, and salt from the ocean crystallizes around these microplastics, which becomes the core of most salt crystals, which means when you sprinkle it onto your steak or veggies or fries, you are literally eating tiny pieces of plastic bags, water bottles, and other garbage. 
according to a study published in Environmental Toxicology and Chemistry, the average adult consumes approximately 2,000 microplastics per year through salt. That is enough to create an entire credit card. Kalima sea salt is some of my absolute favorite salt on the planet. Uh, it tastes delicious. Uh, it's completely free of ocean-borne microplastics, and uh, you get your first bag free. It's all harvested from the Kalima Salts Flats in Mexico, so you'll be supporting the Salineros by purchasing. Salinero would be like a person that harvests salt someplace in Spanish. Uh, so jump over to alignsalt.com and scroll to the bottom of that page. It is a robust scroll. You gotta scroll all the way to the bottom. You gotta sort that out, but oh well, you're getting a free bag of salt. So scroll to the bottom of the page and uh, redeem a free bag to give it a try. I think you guys are gonna really love this. I really do genuinely like this salt a lot. Uh, alignsalt.com. Enjoy your free bag of Kalima sea salt. I want to take a moment and share something that is an absolute needle mover for sleep that is supplementing with magnesium. The reason magnesium is relevant to supplement with in the first place is because it is largely deficient in modern day soil. My go-to choice for magnesium is from Bioptimizers. The reason I like this stuff so much is it contains all seven different forms of magnesium. Uh, it's sourced incredibly well. I know the founders of the company personally. I trust them. I think they're fantastic. I think they really give a dang, and I think this stuff is important for you to try. If you're interested in getting yourself a 10% discount, you can go to magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash align podcast. You can use code align10 to boost your intake of magnesium and start feeling better today, start sleeping better, start relaxing and restoring and repairing those muscles of yours. I think you guys are gonna dig this stuff. Magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast, 10% off. I did a podcast with a, a good friend called Justin Wren, who he's a professional fighter. And he's had this conversation with on Rogan's podcast many times, like, like nine times or something like that. They've kind of touched on this topic around suicide and uh, also just the, the abundance of like bullying and the prevention of, of things of the sort. And in that, one of the things that I kind of had like a realization or awareness like to communicate with him or you in this case, someone that has actually been on that point of being on the edge of like, oh, I'm actually going to kill myself. It's, I mean, these, these words are kind of interesting because, you know, what is life? What is this experience? What is transition into death? What does that even mean? I think there's, can go into like a big ontological, you know, wormhole, but end this physical incarnation. And so to be actually truly at that point, for me, from like an objective, unemotionally attached view, it's very interesting in, a, in mm -hmm. a sense to like understand that. I would love to, if you're open to it, like just understand like what is that feeling? What is that sensation when you're actually going into that place of being like, how does one arrive to that place? Like what's the, it's kind of like climbing a mountain that very few people have been to the top of in a sense. And then you come back down and you're like, wow, that was an experience. I think it's interesting, but I also think that there are far more people who have been to the top of that mountain. And that's mm -hmm. the part that um, connects us more than I think we know. I don't know what those numbers would be because I haven't seen on, you know, who has had suicidal ideation versus who has actually made the attempt. I don't know what those numbers are, but I'm guessing yeah. it's a lot more. Um, I've thought about it through age. It was like age 15 
through 17 or so, I was regularly reflecting on mm -hmm. just that being like an option. I went through like a, a time of feeling, I was really into, I like discovered psychedelics around that time as well and had some interesting things happening in like my home experience. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm just trying to no. gain rapport and, and like yeah. have like a, I'm like delving into you and not opening anything up by myself. So that was an interesting time where I kind of went through this phase of feeling like everything was essentially just like science. And I was like indoctrinated into this reality where the concept of laughter or sadness or love or arousal was just neurochemistry and biology. And it was like this gray, banal, mute chemistry project. And I was just like, what the fuck is the point of any of this? It was a very like disembodied, almost like disassociated observer mm -hmm. lens which in retrospect is actually super cool to go through that in a sense, to get to observe life from that perspective. Uh, just hopefully, you know, you come back to an embodied experience, you know, and, yeah. and you can like re-engage and share the stories. So anyways, just to, to share, I'm like pointing at, at you and asking you a question about this, but I've also yeah. spent like two years where I was kind of like reflecting on like, oh, that could be, you know, maybe, maybe that would be a thing. Like, what's the point of any of this? Right. Maybe I should just right. check out because this seems quite pointless. And I think that's the thing is, I think teen years and those early 20s, that is, it's quite common. Um, and I think a big part of that is the inability to develop our identity. When you were asking, like, what has changed? Why a third or more? I mean, if we really want to go to it, I think that the way that we're educated has changed. I think the way that we live has changed. Obviously, technology and people put really heavy emphasis on that. And I do think that's, of course, it's a part of it. But I'll tell you right now, my level of perfectionism and wanting to be everyone to see me as perfect had nothing to do with an Instagram reel because I didn't have one. It was 1993. We didn't have that. And I still had those pressures different from different places, but it was in me. And so, yes, I think that technology can be amplifying some of that. But when I go back to the feelings that I would have had in high school, I I don't remember having too many severe dark days. And that's what I had started to call them once I get into college. I did have uh, trauma when I was 19. I was date raped. And I didn't tell anybody. I tried to pretend it didn't happen. I ran far, far away from it because I was ashamed. And that is a very common thing for people to do. This was the year 2000, so it's not today where we have a movement that supports people and helps them shed their shame. And I think that's, I hope that that starts to help because where I was living, I was alone. I was the only person who had ever been in that situation. I was a bad person. And I do this with my child quite a bit. He's young, he's six. And he always says when, some, when he does one thing, makes a mistake, I'm a bad boy. And I always tell him, bad is this end you know, perfect is this end. We all live somewhere between and we're all going to fluctuate between. I couldn't learn that until five years ago. It's taken me a very long time to not vilify myself and not blame myself and shame myself. So when trauma happened, instead of processing it, I ran as far away as I could, which is very typical. It lived in there and then I was diagnosed with narcolepsy and I got a medication for my narcolepsy and that then took what I would have called progressive dark days to full blackness. And I just woke up one morning and I, environmentally, there were plenty of things that were stressful. I had a lot of rejection from my first trying to get uh, my first job in television. I sent out almost a hundred VHS tapes back then and I got no response. 
and I felt the pressure that a lot of people do when they graduate college that I'm like suddenly need to be this adult that doesn't, you know, but now the one thing that I had worked so hard for and I was pretty confident I was going to get wasn't working out. And so all of these things started stacking up together. I had major relationship issues, most of it by my doing, because I was just trying to date too many people and that was pressure filled. I can't say that it was one of those things and those sounds so trivial, but in my little life, right in that moment, those were big. And that medication I was put on was amplifying, and I didn't know what that was, these feelings of the highs and the feelings of the lows. So one morning I woke up, I felt something I had never felt before, and that was total darkness. Like the blinds had shut, there wasn't a sliver of light, there was no way that I was going to make it through that day, because I didn't need to. I didn't want to, I didn't deserve to. A lot of the shame was heavy and played heavily into it, but it was darker than that. And it's so wild because it didn't work, obviously, I'm here. And in the hospital, within that first 12 hours of recovery and then going home, I remember going home and looking in the mirror and being embarrassed that it didn't work, but that embarrassment turning to, I don't even know who that was that did that. It was like that moment was so temporary. I still felt like there were a lot of pressures and there were bad things happening, but whatever that was, was a snapshot. And impulsiveness in also in suicide are linked regularly. Doesn't mean that you can't premeditate, doesn't mean that you can't have suicidal ideation, but that for me was an impulsive. It was not something I had ever considered. And it just, I woke up and that's what it was. And that is, that's the scariest part, you know? And I think that's the hardest part when parents tell me, what could I have done? They're asking me, what could I have done? I don't know. I think that I am incredibly lucky and that's why it's now my responsibility to hopefully remind someone that has ever had that, even a glitter of, glimmer, glimmer of that feeling that I believe everything is temporary. And that moment certainly is. Um, and it is so worth getting to the next moment. So it comes up as your, thank you for sharing all that. Sure. Um, and I'd like to go deeper into that, that the darkness. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'd love to understand like, more about that i'd like to gain a deeper relationship with the darkness because i know that some some of these things are kind of like they're borderline ineffable yeah um and it's more like experiential it's like what's an avocado taste like it's like well it's kind of weird to describe but we have the brilliant opportunity to use analogy and metaphor in the at least from the we can kind of like pendulate or bounce over to to weather and so it's kind of an interesting thing of like I wonder if we could perhaps scientifically describe like what is a storm and the, the, the sensation of waking up and it being complete darkness out. How does the, the clouds build up and the, I don't know, the, the, the water vapor condense or the, you know, how I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a, 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 I don't know what's going on in the world. <laughs> So I, I think we have to we have to specify which type of storm we'll talk about because they are also different. Yeah. So let's use a tornado because a tornado is applicable to a lot of people in the United States, or they're fascinated by it, and they certainly might be understanding of it. Um, versus like a hurricane, which is something that you see for ten days coming. A lot of times we can see them for very far out. They cover a lot of people. Usually the worst impacts are right at the coast. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. A tornado to me because of its relatively small nature in comparison to something like a hurricane feels more individual. And so I think that's a better storm to use as an analogy. 
So to make sure. a tornado, you have to have that sunshine. You have to have heat. And so that is one of the precursors. You better be hot. You have to have a lot of moisture. And that's why we see a lot of these happen in the plains or in the southeast, because you have that gulf moisture feeding up. You have to have something that lifts both the heat and moisture. As it lifts, it condenses, cools, and creates cloud, right? And as it lifts, you get a lot of power from that lift. And that updraft is really important in the creation of a supercell, which is the type of storm that's going to make a tornado. But the critical part of a tornado, because otherwise you just have a thunderstorm. What I just said is a thunderstorm. To make it tornadic, you have to have spin. And so we need something called wind shear. You have to have low moisture and heat coming from one direction, and then cool, dry air, much higher in the atmosphere coming from another. And in that, you're going to start to see a spin. And then that spin, whether it's over here and then the thunderstorm comes across and picks up that spin, is going to help start spinning that thunderstorm. So you get, you get spins sometimes at the ground first, sometimes up at the top, and those two come together to make a rotating column of air, which is a tornado. And so all of those parts are critical to making a tornado. You can wake up to a tornado, certainly. There are plenty of overnight big storm systems that can have kind of embedded tornadoes in them. And to wake up to one would be more alarming than to have the full day of warning, you know? And I do think that that was probably something I can make as an analogy. I would never have known that I was going to wake up and feel that. Whereas with a tornado, don't worry, there are plenty of meteorologists out there to let you know. But in the way that you're doing this, this is our warning. This is us saying, if you've, sometimes not even, I mean, you may someday wake up and have this. The most important thing to do is have your emergency plan ready, right? And that is something that I employ now. So when I do have, thankfully, I don't ever have those dark days. I've worked incredibly hard. I did inpatient therapy. I did outpatient, really intensive therapy. And I've maintained and done a lot of other things we could talk about later to get to this place. But I still wake up and I'll have gray days and I'd say the shades are down, sometimes more than others. But I know now how to deal with it because I see the tornado. I've had a tornado before. I know what to do in this thing to stay safe and to not be injured or killed. And so I then immediately for me, you know, in, in a tornado situation, you go to your basement, you get tucked, you get in that place, you go and you have a helmet on, you do all the things that protect you. In a similar way, when I have the gray day, I immediately say it out loud. I just say, I see you. Because to me, it looks like a fog or like a, a gray monster. Like it's coming up. That's what's covering the blinds a little. As soon as I see, I see you, I swear there's something that changes in it. It knows, I know, it's there. It also knows, I know what it's about to do or what I think it's about to do. And then I will usually vocalize it to somebody else. I'll write it down. I'll call somebody like my mom, my therapist, my husband. And I'll let them know. And it keeps shrinking. Doesn't mean that it's going to go away that day. Doesn't mean, but I can really help keep that thing at bay, just like I can really help to keep myself safe in a tornado by going in a basement and doing all of those things that we do. And then the most important part, probably, when you're in a tornado, and we always talk about preparedness day for tornadoes, you got to be in the basement. But once you're in that basement, you've got your helmet because that keeps any of the debris that's flying or maybe the, you know, the basement floor comes down, whatever it is. We always say, keep your shoes keep an extra pair of shoes there because it's the middle of the night or the early morning. You're not running downstairs with your sneakers on. But as soon as your house is gone and your neighbor's house is gone, there's debris everywhere. And there are more injurious things that can happen after the actual tornado. And so I think in that way, I look at my mental health that way too. 
I'm coming up from the, I see the thing, I'm starting to tell my team, I'm doing the, the practices and using the tools that I know how to stay safe in it. As soon as it's gone, I got to get my shoes on. Like I have to get the thing that I know that is going to keep me safe in those kind of rocky waters as I leave so the debris doesn't hurt me, so that the downed power line doesn't hurt me. That's cool. It brings up there. There's a an analogy from uh, I've heard from Ramdas. I think he heard it from someplace else. <laughs> but the idea is that if you have a describes a, a painter, and the painter did a, a picture of a, a big gray cloud, mm-hmm. and then the painter didn't have a picture frame big enough to show that it was on the edges of the cloud. There was sunshine and yeah. clarity and all of that, and so the picture frame kind of like closed up. And it just looks like darkness. It just looks like blackness. Yeah. So you can't actually perceive that it's a cloud. It's just yeah. complete darkness. The you know the analogy is if you pull the frame back mm-hmm. a little bit, you, you get like a more appropriately sized frame. You see like ah okay, this is actually just a cloud. Yeah. And it's passing through. And what's interesting is as you're describing the tornado, you're saying tornadoes won't just happen in any area. Like you need the certain mm-hmm environmental Mm -hmm. conditions and geographical conditions in order to manifest that storm. So then it comes into, it's like, that's like, that's interesting. Like some people perhaps are living more in like tornado country. Mm -hmm. And more in, yes, in places where environmental impacts to their life would be more difficult on their mental health. Yes. I think that that's completely true and, and needs to be talked about more. And that's why the analogy that I've been using the most you know, here I am, the first person that shows up after every wildfire, flood, hurricane. Well, usually I'm there before, during, and after. But I'm the first person that they talk to when their home is gone. And it doesn't matter what type of natural disaster it is. Humans act the same. I've watched it for 20 years now. They are in shock at first, which is to be expected. Then they process grief or trauma, the trauma of what happened, so quickly. It's incredible to watch. Because we don't do that with almost any other trauma. We give Mother Nature really big grace. We're, we're really graceful. We're like, well, you know, it was a tornado. When, like, <laughs> I'm always like, your house is gone. Anything, if somebody would have came and take your house down, you would be very upset. So there's that part of it. But when they get through the shock and they go through the other phases of grief of, from that trauma, they go through quickly. And then I started to realize why. That's because, number one, they can't pretend it didn't happen like I did with my trauma, like many of us do. It is visible, it's unavoidable, and they have to process in that moment, right then and there. They got to go through it. And it's awful, but they've got to do it. And so a lot of the terror is in that fog of the trauma of your home being gone from a tornado is cut down because you're saying, well, my house is gone. Everybody can see that. There isn't shame in it, right? And I think we need to look at our traumas the same way. We need to honestly tell each other about our traumas. Not everybody. I'm not telling the person at the grocery store about my date rape. Like, I don't need to do that. But I think that there are places and times where we need to share more and be less isolated in our stories so that we can communicate. And then we find community in it. And you always hear that cliche line in a news story. It's like, and then the community came together. That's because they did. I've never seen humans be so good until it's after a storm. They're so good to each other. They're doing things and saying things to each other that you never hear in a neighborhood. You'd never hear because guess what? They all went through the same trauma. It's sympathy and empathy and all of it all combined, but it's also information. Oh, what did your insurance do? How did you go through that? 
you're sharing the healing. And that community of healing needs to be in mental health. So other people who have borderline personality disorder or maybe just got diagnosed and are scared out of their mind need to talk to me. And I can help them through that part. And that's the other thing. A lot of times somebody from the Red Cross or other people who are like me who have seen a bunch of these are going to come in and they're going to help those folks and say, here's the next step. Here's what you have to do next. You have to have a leader through that, the professional person, which is like to me, the the therapist, um, who's going to lead you through the healing of how you're going to get out of this trauma. It'll never be gone. They're never going to say to someone, no, I've never had a a tornado take my home. You did. (laughs) And so they're already past the point of healing than we often get with a lot of our own personal traumas because of those things. So it's interesting the opportunity that you've had to share time with people after they've lost seemingly, you know, what they considered like everything that's meaningful or valuable to them, including, you know, I'm sure like family members have died nearby you, yep. you know, and saying like, oh, wow, like, like literally, like I lost everything. Yeah. A couple of things come up that I find interesting. One is just how incredibly yep. adaptive the human, I don't know, organism, person, spirit, being, whatever is. If you can honestly come to, to terms with things, mm-hmm. if you're not willing to look at things, then I think presumably it would fester and stew and kind of like sublimate and manifest in different directions. And you, it feels like this invisible force that's driving your life. And you know, but if you can actually be with the house that has been lifted and destroyed and you just look at it and you're like, there was a house there, there's not a house there. Okay, well, I can adapt. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. But you own it. You own it, right? Like ownership of that story is everything. They own that yeah. moment. Yeah. They own, and I'm not saying that if you lose a child, that you have to own that moment that day. That's not what this is intended to be. There's different layers and different levels. But of things, I think you're right because people are often so attached to things and we run our lives based on things. So this is a true test of what that means or what it doesn't, how you can survive or how you can't. You know, there's some dirtier things that happen with how money works and how insurance works or doesn't for certain people but it does for others. So I think there's a lot that comes out of that, but you're right that the adaptation, especially with things, is forced. And it's really pretty quick. <laughs> and and so I'd be curious for you, and one, that is an interesting differentiation of the, you know, losing a material thing compared to losing like a human and just what that is, because again, it's, it's, it's real. And you're gonna die, I'm gonna die, all of our family members are gonna die. Yet it's one of these, I think, conversations and topics that kind of gets like pushed under the rug because it's like, oh, like we don't, uh, we don't think about that, we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting how there is kind of like categories of loss. Yes. And then within that as well, I'd be curious your experience with getting to or having the opportunity to be with so many people that are in like their worst of days, essentially. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about how to approach that experience with someone? over the years. And the first storm that I covered was Hurricane Katrina, meaning that I covered for my job versus like just storm chased. I've been chasing for years before that, but where I got to have a camera with me and go tell people stories before, during, and after it. So Hurricane Katrina is an unprecedented and hopefully never type of storm we see again, not in the actual storm type, but in the the humanity political aftermath that came and the, the, the actual error in engineering and those things, you know, that one is so unique for so many reasons, but it was truly a trial by fire for me to go down there and 
I always think that that is where my first evolution of my why changed. I went to college to be a storm chaser because I loved weather since I was eight. I saw the movie Twister when I was 16. I, I saw Helen Hunt and I thought, that's what I'm going to be. I never wanted to be in television. I went to college to chase storms. I studied and studied and studied. And one of my professors was like, I really think you should try broadcasting. I was like, I don't know about that, but it seems to have worked out. Um, and so when I made that goal, it was like, Storm chasing and science and the pursuit of communicating my science was about it. That was my why. That's why I was doing it. When I covered Hurricane Katrina, I went down there oddly and a little sick, you know, in hindsight, because all I kept thinking was, man, I wonder what a 22 foot surge looks like. I was so enamored with the idea of the earth part of it, the power of earth part of it. I'd never been to the Gulf Coast for more than a stop by one time after I did an internship in Birmingham. Like I was not familiar with what was there. I didn't understand the, the volume of people. Yeah. What is a 22 foot surge? A 22 foot storm surge is the level of water that would come in with a very strong hurricane like Katrina. They had like a 22 to 24 foot surge, meaning a wall of water, essentially not a tsunami. It doesn't look like that. It looks like water over a couple of minutes that rises incredibly rapidly and pushes in. It can move entire homes. It can take them off their foundation. It's the part that does the most damage in a hurricane. So I had never seen anything like that. I had not done a lot of tropical. I'd covered a lot of tornadoes, or covered tornadoes, and I had chased tornadoes. This was new. And so I went down there with my nerd hat on. And within 30 seconds, I realized, that's not what this is about. Oh, my gosh. And within 30 hours, I had seen bodies. I had seen a, die, a dog die in front of me. I had seen things that, you know, this young woman in her early 20s had never thought was going to be a part. And I had seen those things you're talking about that we had swept under a rug and didn't speak about. And it had come at the hands of my really cool storm I was so excited about. So it was very, it was like, oh no, oh no, I've been doing this wrong the whole time. Holy cow. And in that, I also had probably the, the misperception that journalists had to be so neutral that I couldn't show emotion which is the wildest thing that that was what I thought I had to do. So I remember feeling emotion rising and suppressing, rising and suppressing. I was also seven days there. So by the end, I'm just as hungry. You know, granted, we get to go home, but we had rationed out the, the grapes and, and trail mix that we had. I was so dehydrated. We had only so, so much water and I was starting to get sick. And so we're at the end of this, and this is a long story only to say that that first storm, when I finally, we took the turn, my photographer and I had been sleeping in our van. We both smelled horribly. We got all the way to Tennessee when somebody had brought us gas finally down there. I think we had borrowed some from somebody. And we got to Tennessee and, and he said, do you want to, do you want to go to the hotel and take a shower first or do you want to eat first? And we both looked at each other because we just smelled hair. And we were both like, I want, I want to eat and drink first. Like that was the, that was the most primal I had ever felt that it was the most like deprived of the niceties of life that we all live with that I'd ever endured. And as soon as I got in the shower, it all hit me. All of that emotion, all of the families that I had met that had lost loved ones and neighbors, all of the watching people lined up outside of the CVS. It's like an image that's burned in my brain. I definitely have many PTSD moments from even covering that storm because I wasn't processing it. 
there are these people all lined up. The CVS is wrecked. There's nobody in there going to help them. They can't get their diabetes medicine. They can't get that the one man had a big snake bite and it was all pussing and out. It was like the lawless, unfathomable, this is not the United States. That's what it felt like. And it felt helpless. I felt helpless. They kept coming up to me asking, when am I going to get my check? I'm like, you're not going to have a mailbox for years. That concept started hitting me so hard. And the emotion that I had suppressed for seven days that I fell in the shower and it all hit me. And I just was bawling uncontrollably. And come to understand now is a lot of that is the, the survivor guilt, even though we went there not living there, but more so the privilege guilt of knowing that I have to go cover the next one. I have, we, we got we to move on and we can't go, you know, of course I've done several stories ever since and Katrina's one that we do go back to gets plenty of hopefully good action. And, but that part was a big learning lesson for me and why emotion needs to be a part of my coverage. Basically, if somebody is crying because their daughter and their husband got ripped from their arms in hurricane Sandy, and I feel like crying I cry because that's normal because that would be so abnormal not to. So I think that's something that I learned, but I can't say that I've perfected. Even after Ida last year, I was in New Orleans and we had to rush up here because we were, the tri-state was going to get flooded to a crate and it did. I had been there for three days. They'd been out of power and water. There was no, the sewage was all backing up and I hit the shower in Baton Rouge when we got there and I knew I was taking off and the tears started flowing. I had cried there too, but the, but, but the feeling that, I get to take a shower. My producer hand me an iced coffee. Cried again because we forget how much every single little thing makes our life nice and how fortunate we are, right? It's like the strongest lesson in gratitude is coming out of a storm like that. I'd like to take a moment and share a way to optimize your intracellular health and get more from your hydration that is supplementing with electrolytes. I personally utilize Element I have for the last couple of years. I am a huge fan of this company. Their flavors are all incredibly delicious. They uh, Each packet contains a perfect blend of sodium, potassium, and magnesium. It is an absolute non-negotiable to remineralize your water, especially if you're drinking from filtered water sources. When you drink water from a spring, for example, it is gathering natural minerals from the ground and from the rocks as it comes to you. We strip that out and then it spells trouble for our nervous system. Electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutritional absorption, and fluid balance. Element can help prevent things like headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleeplessness, and it causes me personally to drink a lot more water because it tastes so darn good. Element has provided a special offer only for our listeners. Well, they will send you a free sample pack so you can try all of their delicious flavors with any purchase. All you got to do is go to drinkelement.com slash align. That is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash align. If you are not absolutely satisfied, beyond satisfied with this product, they will send you your money back. No questions asked. I stand behind this stuff. I know that you guys are going to dig it. Jump over to drinklmnt.com slash align for a free sample pack with any purchase. 
my absolute favorite beverages for an afternoon pick-me-up. Really amazing for reducing stress, feeling calm, feeling at ease, um, placing myself into a restorative state, also with clarity and energy. That is Organifi Green Juice. I drop a couple scoops of that into a blender, throw a couple ice cubes in there, blend it up. That is it. That is all. It tastes absolutely amazing. Love sharing it with friends. And uh, it's just a, a brilliant blend for a little energetic support in the afternoon. You can take it anytime, but I usually take it in the afternoon. Uh, so I highly recommend this stuff. If you want to get yourself a 20% discount, then you can jump over to Organifi.com slash align. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash align. 20% is a fantastic discount. Uh, they have a 100% money back guarantee if you're not completely beyond satisfied with the product. I am completely confident you guys are going to really dig Organifi Green Juice. It is a fantastic way to cover your bases from a vitamin, mineral, and antioxidant perspective. So jump over to Organifi.com slash line for 20% off. Now, have you ever heard of a book called Paradise Made in Hell? It's a, about how oftentimes when people go through like the greatest catastrophes, mm -hmm. it actually ends up becoming the moments in their lives that they reflect back on as being like the most meaningful mm -hmm. moments because they're stripped away of all of the insulation of like just the kind of minutia yeah. bullshit that we think that we care about. Yeah. And in those instances where it's like all of that goes away, suddenly all you're left with is the things that actually matter. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of us, like I guess me in this case, there's like a fear of losing the things or a fear of not being whatever idolized version you have of yourself yeah. or just like whatever stories you have. There's this fear and eventually it becomes almost like fear of fear of fear of fear. And you're just kind of in this tornado of, of fear. And then in certain scenarios, like the one that you're describing, like all of that stuff, like you are just facing yeah. it. And on the other side of that, I, th I think commonly what can transpire as a product of that is almost like a sensation of liberation. Mm -hmm. And that could be like, you could relate that to like a rite of passage. Like most rites of passage in various different cultures is a process of taking a young, typically young person through a process of um, thinking they're gonna die. Mm -hmm. And in that process of being like, okay, like yeah, I've actually come to a point where I have released attachment to all things because I really am at the state where like there is nothing else. But that's an interesting thing, like the, the almost like the opportunity to face all of our deepest fears yeah. head on. It's almost like the sooner a person can go through that process, in a way, I'm kind of talking out my ass. I'm very immature in a lot of ways as far as like rites of passage, but theoretically, it seems to make sense like there's actually the availability for like liberation through the process of actually facing our greatest fears. I think in material things, yes. I think that there's, it has definitely changed my perception of my life and the things that I do, the things that I value 100% by even having tangential experience, which I haven't experienced it, but I've seen it so many times and I've seen it processed so many times that I do think that, it, it, for example, after a tornado, often you'll have one or two people that are in that shock state and they're always looking for their keys. The house is gone. There's that physical wow. thing they want to hold on to because it's like the thing they know because they got to go because their house is gone. <laughs> they need their keys first. Or they need their keys to their car. Their car's on the neighbor's house. <laughs> you know, you're not driving your car. 
they're not like the things that you actually need, like the medication or the, they're kind of the hard phones. That makes a little more sense because that's like lifeline. Laptops have information. So that kind of makes sense. But those physical things that don't connect any longer to something, it takes them a little bit. And, and I see it almost every time. That would be like the process of denial. Yes, they go through that. And that's the shock. It's kind of the zombie phase, I, I always call it, is because they're kind of taking it in. And you watch, they have nothing because they're really, really looking at, well, it's very hard to conceive that a house used to be there and it was your home. And all of your stuff, when it's kind of pancaked on itself, looks very different. So people are already maybe, you know, emotionally and, and mentally in a strange state when they come out of, I survived this. That hasn't even hit them yet. It's it's what is this? What is this new land? You know? Um, and then if they're looking for neighbors or family members, there's the hysteria that comes in and there's kind of that, I can't find anything because it's like a stress dream when we're in an anxiety dream. And it's like, you can't get your pant leg on in time to get on the stage or whatever it is that yours is. I think it must feel that way from my watching them from the outside. I love this by the way. I'm so grateful to communicate with someone that's able to draw these connections because I think they're so poignant, the relationship between the two. And something else that comes up is I would propose that perhaps a part of the increase, the statistical increase of self-harm and suicide, things of the sort, perhaps could be at least in part a byproduct of excessive individualism and focus on self as opposed to you know what humans are also completely adapted to do very well and we've done for you know forever and still do but kind of extend our consciousness and our awareness and our attunement and our empathy out beyond the boundaries of our like skin skin mm -hmm. border and I, I think it's an interesting thing to, to come into just interest or intrigue with the relationship of like as it could be anything it could be like model cars it could be anything mm -hmm. but in this case like just coming into relationship with the interrelationship of climate and weather and you know just just having a sensation of, of like oh yeah like what's how humid is it mm -hmm. today how does that make mm -hmm. me feel oh what's the light like how, how does the light feel how does that relate to my skin how does that affect my personality how does that affect my interest you know, so it's not just a, a me period it's a me in relation to you me in relation to weather me in relation to family me in relation mm -hmm. to you know, politics, the cultural zeitgeist. Do you think there's anything to that kind of like suffocating on our on our own individualism in a way, if, unless that's like excessively kind of no, no, poetic way to describe it? Isolation, which I think comes as a symptom of putting yourself first and, and, and then isolating because whether you're fearful of what somebody else will think or a failure of whatever it is, it's easier to be alone in your own thing, but it's not that easy <laughs> because we are not really alone. We've got lots of things going on. I've got lots of things going on all in myself too. So I think, yes, I don't think you're wrong in that. What's interesting about what you said is weather could be the easiest thing to bring us back to a more community oriented place. Because if you think about what is that one thing, if people are not looking at their phones, what are they talking about with each other? The weather. Yeah, right. It is that thing. Yeah. It's annoying as all hell. Like when you're a meteorologist, I got to tell you, because like you're listening and you're like, where'd you hear that? Like, it's just, it's just bad information, but it <laughs> is shared information and it's a shared experience. We are all touched by that drizzle, whether it makes us feel differently or not, we're all touched by it and it can be a shared thing. And the sensation is likely pretty similar. 
that's why seasonal affectiveness disorder is one that people can share really confidently because it impacts a lot of people because there are environmental places that you have less sunshine and we're like plants. We need sun, you know? So there's, I think that there are a bunch of those parallels, but I actually, I do think that whether it needs to be responsibly talked about a bit more, but it can be the gateway to open up. And if somebody says something, and I've been challenging myself to do this because I do these and I want to like practice what I preach. When I wrote these books, it has connected to me to people more than I've ever been in my whole life. And there is such power in that connection. There's responsibility in that connection. And then I have challenged myself to develop the thing that my mother is like expert at. She can make best friends with everyone at every place in life to like the bad degree where she is that person in line that tells you about her knee surgery and then asks about your family history dating back to 1400. And she'll get it out of you (laughs) before then. But that curiosity and connection and shared experience only happens when we look up and look at each other. So recently I've been on, I went on a few flights and I've never been the person that's like, I pop my ear, ear pads, AirPods in and just look down. But this time I specifically looked up and began engaging, which was uncomfortable at first, but I've had some really awesome developed communication and sometimes longer than others, sometimes more like that's the thing is I think at the end of it we're always looking for what does it do for me what's this going to do for me because it's probably not going to lead anywhere so why would I want to speak to this person on the airplane well guess what every time it has led to something better as a human and that's the part I think you're right in is that in the isolation part of individual that I think people get on the plane pop those airpods in and say this is my time which is fine if that's what you really need at that moment but I think we do that a lot in life not just the airplane Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I'm so, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. I, so your book that recently came out in January, a little closer to home, uh, I found the calm after the storm that is out and about and seems to be thriving on the yes. internet. And, um, yeah, I so greatly appreciate your time. Is there any other place that we should point people from here to learn more about you or learn more about their own mental health yeah. or take care of no, themselves I think, better? I think- NAMI, you mentioned it, N-A-M-I is a great resource. I always just like to leave people with the, you know, it's one thing to tell people like this moment is temporary and all it is. I think yoga and meditation have been around for thousands and thousands of years for a reason. And they, they are both very easy entry level places to kind of find a sense of self or not sense of self, actually, (laughs) to be able to separate yourself and away from that. I think there are a billion apps. There are free YouTubes. If you haven't tried it and you're just so afraid of setting an intention like yoga makes you do, don't be. You know, I think there's just so much to learn from these practices and it's not going to hurt you. It's a great place to start. And then write. You know, I wrote a book. I don't think everybody needs to write all their secrets down for every single person in the world to see. But I do think that there's great power in owning your story by writing it either for yourself or for just somebody close to you to read. At the moment you do that, you are then doing what I do with my gray day. You're shedding it and you're saying, I see you. I own this. That's what happened. It sucked. It was great. It was this. It was that. Let's move on and let's see what happens next. And let's like sit in the sunshine and bask in it when it's here because you know a storm's coming and then the storm's there and you got to wait for the sun. And so it's like the people that have to rush for an umbrella are people that let the rain hit them, you know? So it's those things to think about too. But I would encourage everyone to try that. And if you can, and I know this is really hard for a lot of people, if you have somebody else you're concerned about, you wouldn't see them shatter their leg on the side of the road and then be like, man, that sucks. 
good luck and take care of yourself. You know, you pick them up, you bring them to the hospital. If you see someone with a shattered brain or you even have an inclination that something is going on with their brain, with their mental health, help them. You be the one. They're not flipping through their insurance booklet to see which therapist. That's not their job at that moment, just like it wouldn't be their job to drag themselves to the hospital. So please do help other people by doing that. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for living your life in the way that you have to be able to present all this stuff today and being courageous enough to go into your own abyss (laughs) and then grab the info and bring it to us here. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate you. That is it. That is all. Thank you all for tuning in. Over now. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. If you would like to engage with exclusive content from the guests of this podcast, uh, if you'd like to see the videos to these podcasts, if you'd like to get exclusive content around self-care, mobility, strength training and things of the sort you can get that absolutely free in the align community which can be found at alignpodcast.com slash community that's alignpodcast.com slash community also thanks so much for subscribing to this podcast thank you for sharing clips from this instagram be likely place you can tag myself at align podcast you can tag ginger at ginger z and that is it that is all i hope you found some nuggets in this conversation that you can integrate into your life and share with your friends and hope it uh, makes this planet a better place to be at all right see you next week